Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hey everyone, it's Yasser and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Let's get straight into the heart of the conversation. You know, coaching with others. Should it be in isolation? Should it be in collaboration? What does a collaboration even look like? You know, maybe just give us some of your experiences around, you know, you know, you mentioned there at the top of the conversation, you have 14 years plus experience working in different environments in different capacities. What did, what did that look like for you when you first started out your journey and how has that evolved for you now in terms of the way you see things? Yeah, and obviously it's different depending on the context and where you're working, right? So when I first started... I was coaching on my own, which was great because you, I didn't have a clue what I was doing and you're learning. And, and to be fair, I got a lot of things right and probably being harsh on myself, but there were a lot of areas that could have got better. 
And because you're on your own, even when you coach on a game day, you're on your own. You're having to make decisions. You're having to think about game time, organization, subbing strategies, you know, challenges for the players who are who are, aren't starting, but they're going to come on and have an impact. How are you challenging them? Uh, what you're noticing, how you affect the halftime. So all this stuff, as well as when you're coaching every week, you know, how you engage with the players, give them challenges, do your organization and so on. And then, you know, working at academy level and development centre level, you know, as I started going from grassroots, getting into the professional game, I then became a coach where you're co-coaching. So you're co-designing sessions, uh, both with the coaching staff and with the players, um, where I've obviously co-coached. One person might lead, one person's assisting. Sometimes it might be one person's doing all the organisation. They're doing the logistics and managing the time. Another person's working on individuals. So one person can have a designated role to support certain individuals and I'd be responsible for certain individuals within that dynamic. I've, I've had it where, you know, sometimes you're the head coach and the lead and an assistant's given other roles. Uh, it really varies. I mean, in the United States, I love it because in the UK, you might have maybe one game a week or a couple of games a weekend, right? Depending on what level you're working at. If you're non-league, you might have a game on a Saturday, maybe a midweek game on a Tuesday night, something like that. In the US, grassroots level, right into the professional game, you're coaching multiple games over a weekend. I mean, some of these guys are coaching minimum four, five, six games, maybe more, in a single weekend. You know, I mean, so I think that's incredible. And certainly if you're coaching on your own, you're just gaining loads of different experiences. You know, what went well, what could be better. Tactically, you're having to make decisions and figure stuff out. Uh, I think the benefit of working... So I'm trying to share benefits either way, right? In terms of working in isolation or or working... Working in collaboration. Um, I would say... In collaboration is definitely better, but you've got to have a clearly defined roles, which you can probably get to, right? So you've... Who's doing what? Who's responsible for what? Um, how are you supporting learning? Who's managing certain people or groups or individuals? Um, you know your boundaries in terms of who's doing what and when to speak, when not to. And, and that's a big thing as well. Like if you're co-coaching with someone else, knowing that you don't have to fill that space. So if I say something, it doesn't mean Yaz or vice versa has to repeat or, or say it in a different way or, or even add another context. You've got to recognise... How much is too much? How much information can the players consolidate? So when you're working together, that collaboration can be key as long as there's a lot of planning beforehand on the roles. Um, but yeah, I think, it's, I think it's good. I think there's benefits either way. No, I think you're spot on. I think it's just good to kind of really get a, an insight around the range of different ways it could potentially look. And I think one of the biggest observations uh, for me, especially early on, early on, similar to yourself, you know, started coaching pretty much by myself and I think it was probably not really until about three or four years in and maybe even more than that probably five years in where I really started to appreciate just how important it is to actually be able to work in collaboration and not necessarily side by side um, and I think there's a big difference in doing that you know you can work together but how often do you see a situation where you know there's two coaches that might be working together but just because one is now maybe 
quote unquote lead in the session. The other one's kind of just sitting back, folding their arms and just watching what's happening rather than, you know, actually being involved in that. They're actually sitting back waiting and then, I, then the next person stepped in, they lead the session and the other person's doing the opposite again. So it's kind of just looking at, right, how can we be more impactful, more effective and maximise our, our impact as coaches and practitioners when we are working with us, others in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the environments that we work in. I think there's many ways in which we can do that. It might be that you have um, a quote-unquote someone, you know, being a lead coach for the session. The other person's maybe just doing some individual bits within the session. There might be some targeted players that we want to kind of get some specific bits to. So they're working on that. It might be the whole, you know, perspective of, you know, you're coaching the session versus managing the session where one person's actually coaching a topic. So let's just say, for instance, one team's, you know, one, one person wants to lead on a session that might be playing out from the back as an example. The person on the opposite side of it could be managing to kind of counter that to make it, make sure that the, the outcomes that they're facing and the, and the realities that, of the situation they're in are that of the game if you like so I think is you know there's many there's many ways in which we can kind of skin that cat if you like but I think it's just really important for me and to, for coaches to really take on board and understand just how important and how beneficial and crucial that skill can be in terms of being able to work with another coach rather than work next to another coach if that like if you like that's a great show and uh, and it's interesting because often on the courses i mean it reflects on our journeys every course i've been on i've never ever had any particular modules or support around the art of working with someone and how you co-coach and work with each other it's often been that you're so like soul in charge and you're leading everything and there are positives to that because you definitely learn a lot and you you know managing the opposition to create a problem to solve and managing all the logistics of the organization and everything that's a key skill so if you can do that on your own and do other things brilliant um i think learning how to work with someone and having the the conference to delegate certain roles and as you said it could be as simple as like one's an analyst one's a lead we'd often do this on game day and the person who stood further away He's watching certain things. He might be only looking at the back four or he might be looking at the midfield junior or particular principles and values, what you've worked on in training. And somebody else is managing the sideline and managing the bench and the subs. You know, and you can have multiple roles. I like the one that you mentioned before that, which was typically how I would work. Uh, I know you're the same and we do this on courses. One coach is managing the opposition to give a problem to solve. So last session I did in the UK... There was about four or five staff. I led the session. I led all the natural stoppages, the major interventions um, and the progressions. So I ran the practice. But what I did was I designated before the session, everyone had the session plan that I was running. Um, we went through it in detail and I assigned roles to people. Um, so and pretty much this almost self-assigned really because people knew their expertise. And one coach in particular, his role was to manage the opposition to create a problem for me to solve. And I gave him a couple of rules around that. And obviously, he could adapt it. But his challenge was to make it... I was working on attacking principles. So he was coaching the defending team to really be tight, compact, reduce space between lines. There was an incentive where every time they intercept the ball and counter, if they score in one of the counter goals... Not only do they get a point, but it also deducts a point from our tally. So if my attacking team are winning 3-0, it now becomes 2-1, if that makes sense. 
or it could be the other way. You know, it's three two, and then it becomes three uh, two the other way, or so on and so on. So it's really simple. They also got a point, the defending team, for every two minutes they went without conceding a goal, which was a huge motivator. And again, creating that level of competition, having someone actually manage that and reward the opposition so I don't have to focus and try and do everything and manage, reward the opposition and give them incentives and make sure they're organised correctly. He was organising the units and making sure they defended in a low block and really made it difficult. And in the end, we were getting loads of success. And actually, it became where the defending team were dominating. And the attacking team, we were getting shots and blocked and were attacking things and things that got, you know, the blocking crosses and what have you. I'll tell you what, it looked like a real game. And I'd rather that, I'd rather, rather than my team are flying, we're scoring loads of goals. It, you know, that doesn't mean I'm a good coach. Actually, making it look like a real game and we're getting the odd shot off and we're, we're finding ways to break the low block and move players and the players are trying to figure stuff out. That was great. So he was really coaching against me, um, if that makes sense. And then, obviously, like the opposition. And then we had a half-time talk. So he took the players over, did a half-time talk, did some stuff with them. I had my boys, did a talk with them. And then even in some of the interval practices, there was other coaches who were designated certain roles. So whether it was one, his was around behaviour management. So one of the values was winning behaviours. So every time that ball goes out of play, who's quick to react, get the next ball in, switching on, rather than, you know, if it goes out of play for throwing, players switch off. So we were doing that. Players managed the tempo. Players set up the area. Players uh, were encouraged to dominate the 1v1. If they lost the ball, there was the rule that they have to go and try and win it back within X number of seconds. So they have to track runners. They have to press quickly. You know, those light switch moments. So again, he was managing that, not me. So I was managing the overall, but he, one particular coach was praising, going, you know, it might be like, yes, yes, where should you be now? Great, well done, Yaz. Great, 1v1, good. Stop him playing forward, brilliant, well done, you know. And he was encouraging him. Um, and even things like he managed the scoreline. So for the players, they were saying to us, you know, he'd be like, hey, what's the score? Adam, what's the score? It's 4-2 to us. So he was making it competitive. Um, so I was that particular example, I was working with under-18s. Um, but there's similar principles there that you could take, you know, throughout. So I think it's important that, and again, we didn't steer outside of our roles. So he was managing behaviour and values. So he was the values coach. I was the organisational coach and key messages. And then somebody else was the opposition coach. And then there was another guy who was working on individuals. So linked to their individual learning plan, they all had certain things, whether it was dealing with pressure from behind, you know, conference to take people on, whatever it may be. So his role was to make sure that we were doing individuals um, which I think is great because you've got one guy who's doing the group, one guy's doing other learning, one guy's doing individual learning. That's a blooming way, great way to go. Obviously, I was lucky we had a lot of staff, but you can do similar type of jobs, even working in a two, right? Um, it's just being clear on what those are and, again, how do you measure it? How do you measure success? What does that look like? And then at the end, we were able to review with the players, did we achieve the objectives that we wanted? Um, and I think without giving too much information, so if we're talking about in collaboration, that should be with the players. So one of the, well, they're all, but those particular players um, and one in particular whose responsibility was 
around making sure that our player engagement was right. So the players were holding me and the other guys accountable. So he was doing stuff around individual objectives and, again, looking at it and going, you know, is he getting enough repetition of what he needs to get? Is this right? You know, and the players were setting their own objectives prior to the session. So they came on, they wrote their objective on the board. How can we stretch and challenge you today? They would write that. And then as a visual, me and all the staff looked at that before the session and were like, wow, he's put this, he's put that. Oh, that's interesting. All right, well, how can I fit that in today's practice, if appropriate? You know, and little things like that. And again, it's just a great way of talking with people. No, I think you're spot on. I think there's a, there's a couple of things in there. First of all, you know, you're talking about the roles that the coaches are going to play. And it's really important not just to understand the roles, but actually also the skill sets and the and the behavior, behavioral characteristics of each coach. So I'll give you an example. I think going back, I think I'm going back 2016 now. You know, just um, a mate of mine who met on the A license. You know, we we started working with the university team together, and what we what we understood very early on is that we actually saw the game in the same way, but actually we were very very different in how we would go about trying to get there. Um, and that's fine, you know, we're all aligned in terms of the outcomes. But actually, I think that's when it was a real kind of real shift in the mindset for me. Actually, you know, someone else might have a different way of doing it. It's okay. Um, as long as we know which direction we're trying to go in together, then we can kind of support it and doing that. And what would essentially happen in that environment is, technically, I was the lead coach, but we are, I, would, I wouldn't see it like that. I would say, like, we are co-coaches and, you know, you've got your Bennett, you've got your skill sets and you've got your strengths and areas for development as, as have I. That at that time in particular... I personally didn't really put much emphasis on, you know, the social corner aspects. And I think maybe partially just because of my naivety in terms of how important it was at the time. But more, I think more specifically, if I look back, whenever I did work with another coach, they happened, they just tended to really focus and have a lot of, have a lot of benefits um, that you brought to the environment in that area. So I kind of used to just focus more on more the physical and the technical side of things and maybe a little bit of psychological side of things. So I think it's also understanding where you're at as a coach, what you, what your skill sets are, how, what you bring to the environment. And when you actually assign those roles, it might be that one of you is a lead lead coach, if you like, because you're more focused and your, and your strengths are actually more around the technical, tactical side of things. It might be that someone else is the lead coach um, because of those exactly so it might be that someone's a stronger stronger in the social corner so therefore it might be that person actually leads the session whether the other person was more technical and tactical if you like does the individual work but also gives them a chance because it's now on a on a smaller scale where you one to one or one to two or in small groups or where it might be enhancing and developing their ability to actually operate in the social corner or two so i think it's being conscious being intentional around the impact you're trying to have the plan and the processes of uh, what you're trying to achieve rather than necessarily just the outcomes, but also understanding that in any, in any case, as much as we're there, for, there's also an aspect of coach needs to be taken into consideration as well. So quite often what I encourage you to do is go and find someone who looks at the game. Can you find an opportunity to work with them, coach with them, maybe support them on a session that they're delivering. So it might be that two coaches from different clubs, um, get together and it might be like Gerard you're coaching on a Monday night and I coach on a Wednesday night Gerard maybe I can come along and have, you know, have an observation of your session maybe support you in delivering your session on a Monday night see how you do things and maybe pick up some bits of you and then you come and do the same for me on a Wednesday and then all of a sudden we've got a collaborative conversation going on there as well 
So, you know, the whole coaching with others piece isn't necessarily having to be working with the same team in the same environment. It could be actually networking, branching, building a community of practice um, and developing on those things just as much. I completely agree. I love all that. And I think there's so much that you've said there, especially around the strengths bit and just knowing, being comfortable with where you are at. And then at times, if you need, if there's areas that you need to get better at, can you build that within the session that you're having to work on that and you're only going to get better? I think having that conversation with understanding everyone's strengths. I mean, in the example I gave, we knew that all those coaches in particular, one guy was very good at individual and he's quite good. I mean, that's where his lens tends to go. He's very good at seeing possession in an individual event and seeing some of the other stuff. He can get often, he can actually miss at times uh, some of the other stuff. You know, it's moving too fast for him and he can't see it. But individually, he can affect people. Whereas, you know, the other player, he's probably more psychosocial and that's what he enjoys and that's what he's good at. And yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Like what you said, I mean, how often do we go in with sessions where we've got that intention. I'll say we've got the intention that, hey, in tonight's practice, I just purely want to work on this. That's all I want to get out of tonight. This is what, these are some of the things. And then I think as a group, you've got to hold yourself accountable. You know, the first thing, like today, I was delivering um, a 77 v 11 course today. And, you know, we, we're the first question that we're asking the coaches when they delivered was, did you achieve your session objectives? If so, how so? If not, why not? Now, that was the first one. Then we obviously went into what What do you think went well? What could be even better? Um, I think that's huge. And then, you know, tonight we're coaching. We're doing some ID sessions over here. We're going to be co-coaching. Um, so in terms of like coach education, as you said, Yaz, we've actually got certain people where they need to get better at noticing and the art of noticing so what they've done is the guys who are assisting they've got observation sheets and there's certain behaviors that i want to look for that are leading into how we want to recruit players like the type of player that we're looking for um the values that we want and equally like leading into tryouts the trials so they're given specific tasks around that and that's what they're going to make notes on and then they're going to feed back and it's going to be great for a coach ed piece because not only have you got coaches coaching and people are watching people coach and you're learning from that, but then equally they're getting better at being really specific in what it is they want to notice and look for. And as a result, we're able to go, well, are we achieving, like, is the practice promoting that value or not? If not, how can we change it to, to get more of that repetition or more of this value, you know, whatever that value is? So certain things we're looking for. And yeah, we're, all, we're obviously doing that in collaboration. 100% a spot. And I guess, you know, just just looking at that then, George, you know, when you're looking at coaching with others, what are some of the, I know you've talked a little bit about some of your experience, but what would you say is your advice to coaches looking at it now and thinking, right, I've been coaching with someone else alongside me for the past, I don't know, year, two years, or in fact, it's my first season. I'm working with someone else, but I don't really know what working together looks like. And it's working side by side in collaboration rather than isolation. What would you be your key considerations for them to maybe start to think about around how they can start to develop that relationship and expand it further. I know that we've mentioned quite a bit already, but it would be good to kind of maybe just give some real specific guidance on that. Yeah, I think you've mentioned some great points. I mean, we need to know what you think, really, because 
from my end, I'd probably say you've got to get a relationship with the person. It's so hard. There's been times where I've been in coaching roles where, like even at academy level, you've had to coach with someone. And I can think of two examples in particular where one coach, it was so natural. In fact, we end up becoming really good friends. And we'd actually have a lot of conversations beforehand and talk about, again, roles and who's going to do what. Um, and there was like this mutual trust and relationship where we never spoke when the other person was speaking or I never crossed over him. He never crossed over me. You know, there was no ego. There was, I never once saw him coach and go, Oh, I'm not sure about that. Oh, I'm not, I don't know if I wanted to say that or whatever. And I'm sure it was, it was likewise. Whereas in another relationship, um, I got moved up to a different age group and, and, um, or across, should I say, and, and basically it, it wasn't as natural. Um, we didn't talk as much. We mainly came together when the session came together that night. And that's when we typically do most of our talking, which is not very good, really. And, um, and that's on me as much as him. And then when we were coaching, I always felt a little bit of, you know, oh, like, I don't know if I'd have said that. Or do you know what I mean? I think that's too much information or we're going off. You know, or I'd think, oh, do you know what? I've made it pretty clear for him. Let's just leave it at that. And then there'd be times where I'd want to clarify something, but I wouldn't want to offer him too much in case it confused him. And we just didn't, it wasn't a good flow. Um, and he was a lot older. So he, there's a bit of ego in there and you've got two type A personalities. Someone has to, you can't have too many chefs. Somebody has to back down a little bit. And it was difficult because there was times where like he might publicly say, no, 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 this is what we're going to do. And then I'd be thinking, well, I'm not sure. Fine. And then I'd bow down and then it would be wrong. And it'd lead to something like, let's say, a goal or it'd lead to something terrible. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, great learn experience for the players, but bloody hell, we need to be on the same page here. So I think hopefully that shares a little bit. Of, my advice would be build a relationship with the people you're working with. Don't necessarily have to like each other, but you definitely have to be on the same page. Um, and it comes with time. Clear outline of the roles. Know exactly what the other person's trying to think and feel because you just, you'll eliminate most of those teething processes. Whereas if you're just doing it off the cuff and live in the moment, I think there's going to be too much of, do you know what? He said something there and I don't know when I can speak and, or I'm repeating the same thing he said in just in different words. And it's just not going to be, it's not going to be organic. It's not going to flow well. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. I think the, the real key piece to really take out of what you said is that making sure you're on the same page. And it's not about how you feel about one another. It's not about how you see one another. But actually, what is it that we're working towards? And what's the plan for that? I think. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com really just taking that into consideration and all the points we've mentioned earlier in the conversation so far in that right who's doing what why is that person doing that job and if that person is doing that job what's the other person doing and why are they doing that job and I think that it's just having clear roles responsibilities but being very deliberate and intentional about that planning process now it might be that actually you've got a relationship where one of you is just happy to lead the sessions all the time. The other one wants to be assistant because they want to be involved because have got to appreciate and understand the circumstances. With a lot of grassroots clubs, we have got volunteers. We have got a lot of people that come from doing maybe a full-time job or a nine-to-five, if you like, and they come straight from there to doing the sessions so they, and they might have family and all these other things going on. So it's very important to kind of just remember that not everyone necessarily feels like they have the time to do the effective planning, but actually it might be that someone has a bit more time available and they take lead on the planning stage and actually just really factor in, right, okay, how, if I'm delivering a session now as yes, and I know Gerard's going to be there and he's going to be supporting, how can I utilise Gerard to support my outcomes and build on that in terms of just getting more outcomes from the session, building one-to-one interaction, and can we find out more about our players through having a second coach in place? And that, 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 that's the way it should be looked at. We've got two coaches, two bodies in the session, I think it's really, really important that we actually remember that not every environment are you going to be fortunate enough to have a second coach or even a third coach in some cases. So how do we best utilise them? And you know, I just want to kind of uh, a little spin-off off of that, Gerard. Do you think it's any different? Or what would your thoughts be if that co-coach was a goalkeeping coach? You know, Would you allow them to lead the team? Yeah, great, great question, actually. Because, again, goalkeepers tend to, from their vantage point, they'll see a lot in front of them, won't they? Um, and often I've, I've had goalkeeper coaches where they've been responsible for, like, the back four and the keeper and units and actually working together. And then rather than normally the keeper just does the keeper, keeper coach just does the keeper and what have you. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting question. And, again, like, more eyes are better than two, right? So I think the challenge, though, becomes are you stood next to each other? Because if we're stood next to each other whilst we're working with each other, we're potentially influencing each other, which can be good and bad. I think if we're looking at it and thinking, well, 
like, there might be times where you stood apart and then you come together. It's just recognising when, because otherwise you might, as the goalkeeper coach or whoever, any any support coach, Yaz might say to me, oh, look at that, bum, bum, bum. I might not have seen that or I might have been seeing something else, but now I'm seeing what Yaz is seeing and that'll influence my response. Um, and I think sometimes it's good to have different perspectives and don't necessarily have to be feeding into each other. You can you can work in your areas and then come together at the right moments. Um but yeah, goalkeeper coach would be great. I mean, I think again, it's but it's just making sure that there's not. When it comes back to the more eyes means more voices, and I think then we've got to think about like who's speaking when and why, and who to, because otherwise there's a danger that we're again we could be giving too much information or too many too many voices. So it's how you channel that noise and be a streamlined. So the example I gave before. There was I didn't mention, but there was a goalkeeper coach in that. And obviously, he will have been working with the back four as well with the other coach. So they were working together and he was working with the keeper on his obje- individual objectives. So, again, everyone had clear roles, but nothing contradicted or overstepped on other people or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, you knew your territory. 100%. And I think one of the biggest challenges when it comes to goalkeeping coaches in particular is that there's often this misconception that they maybe don't have as much to offer as the outfield coach. But actually, a lot of people neglect to you know, remember the fact that actually goalkeeping coaches actually have to go through the outfield qualification before they can go on to the goalkeeping courses. So it's just it is something worth remembering. Um, but, you know, I'm conscious, you know, conscious of time. Um, you know, and people in the room, I just wanted to know whether there was anyone else that wanted to kind of maybe give, give their views on anything we've discussed so far as well. Yeah, I'm curious if there's any questions, but equally, I mean, that last point you made there is a solid one. Coaches have to do, they actually are more qualified, aren't they? So, yeah, great shout. Absolutely. I mean, are there any questions? Well, we've got one now. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Johnny, how you doing, mate? I'm good, lads. Thanks. Um, I wanted to just ask a bit about the, the sort of coaching as a team, albeit with touching a little bit, then a wee bit on isolation. Um, but I'd first like to ask about um, how you could use a coach to to help your session, but to stay silent. Maybe in terms of like counting the number of times a person scans. But, so you want to use the coach, but you want to use them silently. If you understand what I mean. Yeah, definitely. I think what it what it is is um, it, I don't think it needs to be explicit for the players to understand what the what those what the role of the additional coaches are in the process. To be honest. I think as long as yourself and the coach are clear on your roles and responsibilities for the session, and more importantly, I think you, as long as you guys have got a, I can say, a deliberate and intentional rationale for why you're choosing to proceed in that manner, I think that's probably the most important piece. Um, it could be that at the back end of the session, that when the, when that information is then relayed, if you like, that then the then then you might make the players a bit more privy to what's going on and why and why why it has gone on, because it might be right. The message could even be there for the players. You never know who's watching or what's being taken an account of. So you've always got to be paying attention to what's going on and making sure that you're that you can kind of segue into kind of the idea of you need to be scanning. You need to make sure that you're always aware of what's happening, what's around you, who's who's watching, who's not near you, who where the space is, whatever. You know the gist of that. I don't know if that kind of 
uh, answers your question. But you know, those, those are some of my kind of key initial considerations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, we had um, we was actually talking about it yesterday and today. We've got coaches who have clickers, um, so there'll be some who are like Chief Smile, <laughs> their head of smiles, or head of, as you said, like scans, searching for information. How many times somebody might have received with a positive body shape that's allowed them to play, whatever it is, whatever it is you want to measure. And we've had people with a clicker and they're measuring that and then they've responded or we've had players who are like given secret missions and they're trying to notice how many times a coach gives certain praise to certain players or um, uses certain keywords or whatever it may be. It could be anything, right? And you, you're measuring it. I mean, if you look at a lot of organisations like rugby are probably one of the best at it. Uh, American football, basketball. I mean, there's this phrase in the US, they call it this competitive cauldron, where effectively the group, the players included, the, the group measure and manage each other, hold each other accountable. And there'll be certain things where players have got secret missions. And then that mission is, you know, obviously whatever it is that they're noticing. And then they'll feed that back. I know in rugby, I watched an example and it was with uh, Rusty. It was with one of the England squads. Really, really interesting. And the players just mentioned to another player how many times um, he fiddles with his socks and is injured or goes down easy. And it was a lot during the first two activities. And then he fed that back to the player. And it was like psychologically, your body shape, you know, you, you look at posture, right? And Ronaldo, how he'll come out, his body shape, that confidence that he exudes... He could be absolutely shattered, but he's got quite a positive body shape. His shoulders are back, you know, he's, he's facing up, his head's up, he's not looking down the floor, and he exudes this confidence. If anything, it makes him look even taller than he already is. So it was little things like that. So then they mentioned this to one of the boys, and his body shape and his psychological, he was doing complete, you know, there's other players who were messing around with the hair, and that might have been like a comfort thing. Or those other things. So they'll. And by the way, that co- that player who was doing that was an injured player. So he wasn't just injured and just you know given no role at all and ignored. He was given a role within the practice, and he was still there. And that was England uh, under 18s. So I thought that was really interesting. So yeah, absolutely, Johnny. Yes, yeah, so Johnny. I just been you know between myself and John. I don't know if we've answered your question. Whether there's any kind of um, follow up from that. No, spot on, lads. I'm, I'm loving it. I, I kind of wrote things down in my mind in relation to the question. I've ticked some of them and I've added added more ideas as well. It, we've, we've talked quite a lot about uh, collaborating. Um, I've coached for a long time and I, I quite I quite enjoy the old isolated session. So I thought I'd maybe share a couple of my ideas and, and get your thoughts on it. Um, if I'm coaching on my own, I, you've already talked about goalkeeper coaches, but if I'm coaching on my own, I'll usually use goalkeepers quite a lot. Uh, I'll usually set them tasks. Say we're doing attacking versus defending. I'd maybe ask them to count real shots versus fake shots where the players don't act as if it's, it's a real game within the session. And um, I'd maybe assign different roles within possession zones. So like maybe four touch, three touch, two touch, one touch. So you've got four players and that's the number of touches they have. You get any other ideas along those lines? Yeah, I think those are great. I mean, obviously, with touches, you know, you've always got to think about the consequence, which I'm sure you are, because there'll be times where if you place a touch limit on it, 
what have you potentially killed? You know, dribbling. Do you know what I mean? Or creativity. But then perhaps if it's worded differently, um, like try to play forward in three touches or less, or it might be, because I've seen some coaches do touches or, you know, number of passes to go forward or whatever. And then my argument would always be, but what if you can play forward in one? You've took away that choice. There might be games where, like I've done stuff, I, I remember seeing Ben Barlow do this years and years ago on one of the youth mods and it was one touch or four plus. And it was great because he gave him the choice. He said, you've got one touch or four plus. If you take two touches, it's an indirect free kick to the opposition. Off you go. And straight away, the players managed the rhythm and the tempo of the possession. They were a lot better with it. And they recognised if they could play quickly, pop it off. So it encouraged scanning and searching for information because they had to because of the, the constraint put on them. And equally, if they controlled it or it was a bad pass and they had to control it, it's forcing them to stay on the ball, right? Manipulate the ball. They might have to dribble. They might have to move the ball to create another uh, passing opportunity, like a passing lane or whatever. And that was good because it also helped players recognise when to pass, when to dribble. Um, so there's little things that you can do there. I don't know if you've tried any of those already, but those and I would say the challenges that you're thinking about, really good. Like It's great that giving people tasks, but then holding them accountable to it. So often I would even do like half-time talks in my practices, do a half-time talk in the training session and then have players go over in a small group, have a discussion amongst yourself. What do you think went well? What could be better? How are you going to change your strategy to, to outthink or outplay the opposition? Off you go, have a chat. I'll go and listen in. I'll bounce in between the two groups and I'll hear some unbelievable answers from the players. Or even like asking the players, how can we make this more challenging? What can we do? What do you think about the space? Is it too big? Is it too small? I mean, I did that on my AYA. I was getting assessed by Mick Matthews and I could have easily just adjusted the area but I gave the players ownership to set up the practice, which they did. Um, these were under 21s and you could do it of any age, obviously. And, and basically they set up the area, but it was for me, based on the principles we we're trying to work on, the area wasn't, it was, I can't remember, it was either not wide enough or not long enough, right? I'd spotted it, but rather than going in and going off, you know, I'm going to change this and make it bigger or wider or whatever. I wanted to go, well, you know what? I'm giving them true autonomy. I want to see what they do. And then during the practice in one of the breaks, after I said, hey, are we happy with it? What do we think? The players straight away went, no, 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 we need to make it whatever. I think it was longer, actually. We need to make it longer because we're not, it's not helping us achieve what we need to achieve, the outcome. Okay, you show me how... And to be honest, when they did the progression, they got the area size bang on, like bang on. And I think they learned more probably in that than some of the other stuff, you know, if we always do stuff for them. So... I think all these ideas, like some of the ones you've said there, Johnny, you know, in, in isolation are fantastic. Just giving them problems to solve to develop those leadership skills is great. Anything from you, Yaz? Yeah, I think just, you know, just kind of follow on what you said there, Gerard. I think um, one thing that's really worked for me, Johnny, over in, I, I use a lot now is um, different forms of incentives and often they come in the form of points. Um, I use the, I use you know differentiated scoring systems in all my sessions now pretty much um, to really keep the intensity high and make sure the players are fully engaged and challenged. I don't necessarily believe in putting conditions on practices. I think what you need to do is just incentivize the outcome you're looking for, because with the incentive it it it, it, it doesn't restrict for any outcome from taking place. Because the reality is, no matter what outcome you're looking for, even in a game situation, 
you can't rule out anything else because um, that's not that's not how the game is that's not how the game is played. That's not what happens. So I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. So it might be that I've got a session where I don't know it's a two v two as an example, um, and I want to encourage. I still want to encourage them to dribble rather than pass. So it might be right. Okay, if you can get beyond the player um, without using the pass, because uh, my focus might be on how how do we as a supporting player look to you know create opportunities, to create space for the person on the ball. If you like, it might be right rather than using the pass to do it. Can we encourage the dribble, but recognizing the timing of it? So it might be right if we get to the other end of the zone or one end zone to the other. Rather, you, you say. It might be one pass if you had to use a dribble to do it, or if you had to use a uh, a pass to do it. Whereas if you can dribble straight over without using the without using your partner, it's worth three, as an example. And a simple little you know little point scoring system like that, it will really surprise you. But what it also does, it also gives you the the opportunity just to go step back and say, right, well, was that the right time? If it wasn't, if they're always trying to dribble, then great, they've got the confidence to do it. And that's fantastic, but we don't want to let that confidence override what might be the best decision in the moment. Um, and it's just getting them similar to what Cheryl was saying, you know, talking about when to pass, when to dribble, when to play forward, when to not, when do we maybe have to recycle the ball and start again. And then obviously, because there's going to be times where they can't dribble, but we want them to be comfortable to do it, it might be right, okay, there might be within that same grid that they're working and it might be if you go back in towards your own end zone it, it restarts so for instance you can play backwards but if you t- if the ball gets taken back into your end zone you've got an opportunity to come back out for the three points in the dribble again if that makes sense you kind of just reset the practice a little bit so I mean that that's those are the kind of things I like to do within the practices that I use rather than any set conditions because you know even if you take that one about one touch or four and plus, if you like, you're removing the two, three touch. But the reality is, when you play the game, there's you know, I always like to players and even coaches to consider right, well, why would a player take one touch? Why would a player take four? Why would it take why would a player maybe choose to take two or three? The reality is, you're only going to take one touch if you're in tight spaces and you need to. You know, if you've got time on the ball, you're not going to want to necessarily take just one touch, but actually you might be thinking, if I take my first touch and I can't take two or three, then it might remove the opportunity of using your first touch just to commit a player. You're now all of a sudden committing the player and having to go for the other two or three touches beyond that at least. So I think I've been very careful and considerate about how many conditions I put on the practices myself rather than looking at how can I incentivize the outcomes I'm looking for, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Thanks. Can can I throw a last one in if I, if I get the chance? Yeah, go for it, man. Can I throw the parents in? Have you do you use parents at all if they're on the sidelines uh, to help with anything in the session, or do you explain to them what's going on so that they can better communicate as well? I, I think it's a fantastic question. It's one that I, I, I talk to coaches about all the time. For me, I think it's so key that we get the parents involved in, 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 in any way, shape or form that we feel that can benefit us. And I think the first thing is that in my in my years of coaching, I don't think I've ever actually come across a parent that's, that's uh, you know, ill-intended or has got bad intentions for the players or the, or the kids in the environment. But what I can certainly say is that a lot of them don't know what good coaching or coach effective coaching is or should look like. 
and sometimes they're not self-aware enough to understand how how much of an impact they're having. So, you know, a couple of ways which you can kind of easily tackle that is explain to them these are the types of words or these are the types of things that we're going to be doing in this environment. And that should be, I think that should be a given coming into the environment. So, you know, they, they know what they're signing up for. I mean, I've had, I've had situations where parents have actually come to me, you know, it's great, the players look like they're really having fun, but when are you going to start coaching? So it's also that other piece around what the parents' perception of coaching looks like. So I'm not I'm not your typical stop stand still command style coach. I do a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of interaction with the players. A lot of questions. A lot of Q and A. A lot of guided discovery. You know, guided search and, and, and there's, there's there's plenty of different approaches I like to use. And it is very much about developing an awareness in the player. And one of the ways in which I look to do that is actually support the parents in their understanding of what it is that I'm trying to do and the way in which I'm looking to go about it. And that could be I'm going to use term A, term B, term C, and this is what it means to to us in this environment because the words might not be new but the definitions and how they perceive those words could be very different to what they look at that word as being in comparison to what we want that word to look like and be defined as within our environment so I think that's another piece so then at least when you come to match days and stuff like that if the parents are supporting and they are trying to give words of encouragement they know a bit more clearly maybe what words they should and shouldn't use within each moment so it could be right the coach is asking you to hold on to the ball and you might use a certain, a certain word for that it might be when they're out of possession right not rather than can you get can you go and press it's right can you delay can you delay or whatever that word might be as an example so I think that's definitely one key thing I think another key thing is maybe supporting parents with um, some guidance around match days and more more specifically post-match day trying to direct their attention around you know away from the questions of you know, how did you do today? Did you score? In fact, asking questions, okay, well, you know, what what do you think went really well today? What did you learn today? Is there anything that you saw from the opposition that you think, all right, that's going to help me in my own game? And just start to get them a bit more reflective about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I, I guess it's, it's just that building that bank of knowledge for the players, but actually by giving the parents some of the tools in which you, you might use to do that, they can now further reinforce those messages and those questions outside of the environment as well. No, I love it. I completely agree. I, I was just thinking then, I'd often I'd try and find ways to engage them as much as possible, certainly before a game day as well, where I'd be letting them know, here, here's what we're working on in training. Um, you know, can you help us notice some of these things? Because equally, we've got to make sure that they know what they can and can't say. Because often we'll say to parents, won't we, stand over there, keep your mouth shut, don't say anything. But for the parent, he's thinking or she's thinking, well, what can I say? And they don't know. So I think there's a great opportunity for us to engage with them and help them know what they can say. They don't want to be giving him feedback or instruction to the player on the ball, but they can praise. They can praise good effort, good tries. Um, they can praise intentions. They can encourage. And what certain vocab can they use that helps us with that? So, And it's aligned. Um, and I'd often go over to the parents before the game and say, hey, we're working on this. So if you notice some of these things, you know, can you encourage it? I'd even give some parents homework during the game. So I always remember, uh, as an example, one of the players I had at Rochdale at the academy, and this player's gone on now. He's playing for England and he's doing really, really well. Um, you know, he his dad had a challenge, which was during the period. I think we played four, I think it was like four 10-minute 
games or four 20-minute games or something like that. Um, so he was given a challenge, which was because the player needed to get better at uh, tracking runners and um, how to track runners and how many times he did it. So his dad just had a literally like notational analysis. He just made a note how many times so-and-so, you know, when he lost the ball, when we lost the ball, how many times did he track the runner, how many times did he get back in position to try and win it. And it was great because he also, we can't notice everything, but they're just focusing on their boy. We're trying to focus on everybody, aren't we? So it was really good. Um, and obviously he gave me that feedback. He'd, he'd share with me, you know, how many, what the stats were, which was really cool. And also I would use that with uh, with the boy and I'd be saying to him, hey, you know, we've noticed this first half, like really well done. You know, these are the number of times you track your run or these are the number of times you've played forward. But equally, because it's quantifiable, you can set a target for that player. So another player, it was like passes forward. But there might be a reason why he can't play forward. It might just be because he's not recognising the moments. Is it our shape? Is it the opposition? Is it some of the opposition doing this? inhibiting him being able to recognise those moments to play forward. And then that player's actually given me that info, which he did. He's like, ah, but I know, you know, this is... And then he's actually helping coach other people. And that... So these are all examples of, um, again, engaging with the kids, engaging with the parents and creating that sort of learning environment, right? So, yeah. I think you're spot on, Jordan. Hopefully that's, uh, that's answered your question there, Johnny, man. Absolutely top stuff. Thank you very much, lads. No, thank you. I mean, really appreciate everyone listening and it's just great. I mean, there's loads here and hopefully we can try it and just keep trying stuff. Don't be scared to try because we're just going to learn from making mistakes ourselves, aren't we? So see what works and what works one day won't work another day and it's just playing with it. So yeah, really good. There's been a lot covered today. I think there's some fantastic information that's come out and some great points and even the questions from yourself, Johnny. I really appreciate that. But guys, make sure you're following us. Uh, make sure you get your questions in if you've got any. And then, you know, we look forward to speaking to you again next week. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. See you soon. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.